Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, what's going on, guys? Got Harrison Frazier on the podcast this week. He's one of those guys on the PC Tour Champions. He's 52. When you think of the term delayed gratification, this is the guy to me that comes up with golf, right? There's a lot of time. You got to put in a lot of effort. And at the age of 40, in his 355th start, he finally won on the PGA Tour, got a win. In 2011, it was in Memphis. He beat Robert Carlson in a playoff. Of course, they play each other all the time now. The PGA Tour champions out there in their 50s. But it was a huge deal for him in his career. He got to, at the age of 41, got to be a rookie in his first Masters the next year in, in 2012. But just so much grit went into that. He had a, a career at University of Texas. He was good friends with Justin Leonard. He's always been a close friend, still is today as they are out on tour as well, but just never got a win until 355 starts in. And the other part about delayed gratification with him is since being on the PGA Tour champions, he is not of Justin Leonard's caliber. He's not a player who has a major and has multiple wins. So he doesn't have a category that gets him in to a lot of these events. At least initially he didn't. And so at age 50 and age 51, he was grinding, playing Monday, Tuesday qualifiers, trying to get into these PGA Tour champions events and trying to play consistently. And it was a grind. And we get into that, how difficult it was for him and finally he does break through and he got his first win on the PGA Tour Champions in Richmond back in October and that has really helped solidify his start a strong status on the PGA Tour Champions but really again so much persistence perseverance has gone into that and and a lot of work, uh, unguaranteed results, basically. So I, I've really kind of, I don't know, I, I really empathize with Harrison and what he's had to put into all the grit that goes into all this. So we get into his career, what he's passionate about, what's meant a lot to him, his family. And uh, yeah, Harrison Frazier here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Why well, I'm pleased to be joined. My next guest is Harrison Frazier. He's on the PGA Tour Champions. Uh, he won in Richmond during the playoffs back in the fall. And, of course, he played 18 seasons on the PGA Tour. Harrison, what's going on, man? How are you? Not a whole lot. I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's happy to be here with you. Well, you know what? We were just talking uh, before we were on air. National Championship game going on, and, and your, your Longhorns didn't make it. I mean, you got to still be a little frustrated, I'd imagine, right? Oh, I think, uh, I don't know if frustrated is the right word. I would say maybe a little disappointed. Um, but if somebody would have told us this time last year that the Longhorns were going to win the Big 12 and make it to the CFP and have a chance at the last minute to go to the finals, I think we all would have said, okay, we'll take it. So uh, I think Coach Sark has done an amazing job. I think those kids have rallied behind the culture. And they've got things going in the right direction. We're ready to go for the SEC. Yeah, and I think about the University of Texas and your connection to it. Of course, you went there. You were there with Justin Leonard um, and a number of other of your good friends, guys who would become your good friends. What was it like during that time? You know, just obviously you 
I think there was a time where you and your dad were trying to figure out where were you going to go, and then Justin Leonard was getting offers from what Oklahoma State. It, it, wasn't there a moment where you and Justin Leonard kind of just decided let's let's just do it, right? Let's go to Texas. Yeah, um, gosh, that was so long ago. We so Justin was doing his recruiting deal, and I was doing mine, and and we we did go to Texas on a recruiting trip together. And while we were there, we kind of said, hey, wouldn't it be fun, you know, if we were here together? You know, then, you know, the next weekend I was at TCU, he was at Oklahoma State, you know, whatever. But, you know, we kind of did our whole deal bouncing around. And then we were sitting at Royal Oaks Country Club one day. I don't remember exactly when it was, sometime in October. And, you know, he was hitting balls and I was hitting balls and I kind of said, I don't know, man. What are you thinking about doing? I'm thinking, I'm thinking about going to Texas. And he said, well, I've made my mind up. I'm going to Texas too. I said, great. Let's, you know, that's when we kind of realized, Hey, we're, we're going to go together. But, and we were very excited about it, but we didn't, we didn't plan that in the beginning. It just, it was just kind of meant to be. Yeah. And what was that camaraderie like with Justin and, and some of the other players on that, on that team, you guys obviously, had some good success and and we're obviously a, a pretty solid group there for, for those for that stretch of your life yeah we uh we had a good team you know it's different sorry i'm trying to get this uh it's different back then than it is now so our coach held us very accountable but he didn't hold our hand all the time he, he didn't he didn't make us you know do mandatory workouts and nutrition deal and play a certain way he he basically said you have availability to all of this, but you've got 12 guys on this squad that all want to play. If you want to go play, you've got to earn it. So he, so we were close, but we were very competitive at the same time. And, you know, the majority of the guys could handle uh, that type of competition. Some couldn't, but it, it didn't make us any less close. And so I think that that, that helped us grow as people and it helped us be, uh, you know, more responsible when we got out on our own, maybe more so than we were in college. But, um, you know, we, we had a good team. I think for the, you know, Justin was a four-time All-American. I was three-time All-American, but I redshirted my, our first year and he played on. So I actually got to play two years after, is that right? I played one year after, after he left. Um, and I don't think we were ever outside the top five, you know, for maybe that entire five years. So we were, we were good. We never, we never got a national championship, but we were really, really close and we were really good. We won a lot of tournaments. Yeah. And as you mentioned, your coach, uh, Jimmy Clayton, uh, was a big part of, of that program then. And, and I think about that time in your life, right? So you would have played high school golf you, you would have been in Dallas at that time and then you go to Texas you go to Austin but there were three guys in your career that you looked up to in your younger years right that you always wanted to meet and then you actually had a chance to meet and form relationships with and I think of those three being you've mentioned Byron Nelson in the past Ben Crenshaw and Tom Watson what were those three like to create those relationships with over the years okay I'm sorry so so you cut out in the middle of that no, no I, worries. I didn't even hear the three names Okay. I, I, so tell me again. So who Byron Nelson, I bet was one of them. I bet yep. Tom Watson was one of them. And I bet who was the other one? It had to be Ben Crenshaw. 
Yep, Ben Crenshaw is was the third. So you so, mentioned those three in the past being big kind uh, of guys you've always wanted to meet, <laughs> and you were lucky to right have a relationship with them eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so Tom Watson, I never really had a relationship with. We did play together a few times on the tour, and I got to meet him, and I thought he was great, a gentleman. I actually did become friendly with Mr. Nelson before he passed. It was a little bit more of a – I was intimidated to be around him too much because I held him in such – Hi, Steve. Not that I didn't the others, but I mean, come on, you know, Mr. Nelson, that's. And so if he walked in a room, I just I, I almost just froze. I didn't know what to do. Uh, but he invited my wife and I to spend the day with him out at his house, you know, one day. And um, we went and we talked golf. We talked life. We talked religion. We talked, you know, wood shopping. We talked about his career. And then he and I just became friends to where he would send me letters of encouragement when I, when we weren't, he was with Cleveland golf and I was too. He would always pull me aside and, and, you know, give me little tips and little words of advice. Uh, and that's something I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, I'll treasure those moments forever. Ben and I actually became friends and um, more so than where, where we would talk, you know, about, about more real things and actually spend time together. And we worked together on the Trinity Forest Project in Dallas. And, I, uh, you know, we, we talked about grasses and we talked about construction styles and architectural styles and, you know, all kinds of things. So I really got to see kind of how the sausage was made, so to speak, on how Ben and, and his partner, Bill Core do their work. And um, so, and, and that's been a, a big gift in my life as well. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned right there in the middle about um, Nelson and how he was able to give you advice and this little tidbit. So was there any kind of lesson that really has stuck with you, really resonated with you um, over these years? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm not the sharpest uh, tag in the box, but I remember he and I, uh, we're sitting around talking one day and he kept telling me about this young man that he knew who every time he got in contention, he would stand there and try to overpower a golf course by hitting full wedges into the greens and the ball would spin so much and it would, you know, it was uncontrollable. And I would sit there and go, gosh, you know, that's terrible. I wish he wouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. And, you know, a couple months later we were sitting there together and he tells the same story about, you know, this young man he knew who, had a chance to win a tournament. He had a hard wedge and spun it back off the green where he could have hit a little chip shot. So, you know, that, that goes on over a couple of years and it took about five meetings before I finally realized he's talking about me. So like that, that's his way of telling me he wanted me to figure it out on my own that you can't sit there and just rip at everything a hundred, hundred miles an hour all the time. So it, it, that still sticks with me today. In fact, I, if I have a full wedge shot, you know, somewhere, I always try to take the easier club now because it's more controllable. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lesson that's going to stick with you. I, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you've always been a, a longer hitter and I think about, you know, you, you went out there and you got that first win uh, on the PGA tour in 2011. And obviously distance was always a big strength of yours, but you know, you really had to grind and, and get in that playoff with, with Robert Carlson. I mean, what was that emotion like, you know, I think you've mentioned like an, it was an outburst for, of a lot of emotions right over the years, but like, how would you kind of describe that 
you know, at, at that point, you're, you're in your forties, early forties at that point, how, how did you process everything? Yeah. Um, so when I got out on tour, I really kind of, I kind of stumbled my way out there and everybody kept telling me, you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win. And I, and I wanted to, right. I was trying hard and I believed that I could, I, I believed what they were saying. And I also believed in myself. But as time went on and it didn't happen, you start to doubt yourself. You start to really wonder what's wrong with me, right? There's anybody can win. Come on. It's not that hard. It's not that big a deal. And Justin would actually pull me aside all the time and say, you know, you're putting this on a pedestal. You're, you're trying too hard. So the first moment of failure, you would, if you're, if you got behind the eight ball too early in a tournament, so to speak, you would just, you know, throw your hands up and say, well, okay, I can't win that. And so when I finally did win, it was a, it was a relief more than anything else. And I was kind of numb to what was going on around me. I, I didn't know what it meant. I wasn't thinking about what it meant financially or what it meant with an exemption or anything like that. All I could think was finally, you know, I finally did it. And I, and I wasn't even really trying that hard to win this week. I was just trying to play the best I could. My career was possibly winding down. I had a few more weeks left of a medical. I had kind of not, not given up, but I had kind of consigned myself to the fact that, you know, okay, maybe this is done, but I've done the work. So let's just go play and see what's going to happen. <clears throat> so I was relieved and I was dumbfounded, you know, that I was able to win under those conditions because that's not what I thought <clears throat> that, it, that it was going to take. So, um, and then I played really well for a year after that, just about, I mean, I was in contention a bunch, um, and I really felt like I was at the top of my game and unfortunately age caught up to me and I started down the, the downward uh, spiral of, with all the injuries. So. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of the injuries, like what, how, how challenging was it to, to kind of overcome some of those, I'd imagine, low points, frustration you deal with, uh, you know, knowing that if you were healthy, you don't want to have a, uh, have a great shot at it, right? Like it's, that's good, would have to wear on you, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I played for about three or four months in the first part of 2013 with a broken rib because – I didn't want to stop because I was playing so well. I thought, Oh, I can muscle through the pain. I can, I can, I can get through this. I'm, I don't, I don't want this to end. I'm, I've only got a little bit of time left. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to just walk away over this because I'm hitting it too good. I'm putting good. I'm in contention. I don't want to stop. Um, and by doing that, I created a lot of other problems around me you know the uh the, the ankle bones connected to the knee bone if you know what i mean so if one thing goes everything around it's going to go so the frustrations were you know uh, aimed at myself mostly but you know pride pride is a stubborn thing and uh and and i, I just didn't want to quit and i didn't want to i didn't want to admit that i couldn't do it yeah so that that kind of just just hung hung there with you then, huh? Yeah, it did. It stayed. Uh, it just, just kind of hung around, and um, 
you know, I would, then I started down a path where I would try for, you know, three or four months to play and, and I'd get, you know, have to have to stop again. And then I'd do the rehab, the therapy, surgeries, whatever, try back again and have to shut it down again and try again and shut it down. And then finally in 2000, I think it was uh, 15, I just, I did, I threw my hands in the air and just said, you know, this isn't worth it. I'm spending more time on a training table, you know, and in ice than I am actually applying my craft and trade. So it's, it's emotionally, it's too much on me. It's too hard on my family. I'm, I'm done. And I walked away and thought I'd never play again, to be honest with you, until COVID. COVID came around and uh, I know COVID was a horrible thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't. But for me, I couldn't go to restaurants. I couldn't yeah. go, you know, to the 19th hole. I couldn't, couldn't work doing business development stuff. I couldn't, I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't go to the range. Couldn't do anything else, right? I couldn't go to bars. You know, the only things we could do, Trinity Forest stayed open. So we could drive our cars into the parking lot, put our clubs on our bag, I mean, our bag on our shoulder, and go play golf. So I did that for two or three months, and I realized – that I, I still loved it. And, and if I did it my way, I felt like I could do it without the injuries playing a significant part. So I had to kind of relearn a little bit, um, different ways to move to try to protect my back and, and to protect my hip. And, you know, here we are three, four years later, and, and I feel, feel better than I have in a long time. And I'm, and I'm playing good golf. So it worked out. Yeah. And it was just small, uh, small adjustments. Right. I think you've heard you talk about like standing more upright. Right. You can't be like knees flexed too much. You can't be bent over too much through the swing because that's going to be too hard on the joints. Right. Right. Yeah. Stand a little bit closer to the ball. Stand upright a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I love I, you know how people talk about that X factor where you're supposed to turn hard and resist on the lower body. Stay keeping in squat to build up tension to hit it. You know, it, no, just I didn't do that. I let my right hip kind of come out a little bit. I just would allow the lower body to turn a little bit as I stood or as I took it back. And then and then coming through the golf ball, you just go ahead and just let yourself stand up on the backside, you know, or, or on the follow through just a little bit, you know, just to take that pressure off that lower back and that that, that kind of shearing motion that happens in the low back so not substantial i bet my golf swing doesn't look totally different than it used to but those changes are 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 significant and uh, it doesn't mean you change who you are or your dna it just you got to alter things every once in a while you got to find new ways to live or or you die so um and so i i had to do it and i wanted to do it and it was worth it to do it and uh, it's been a good thing for, for me and, and my family. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many directions I can go from here. Um, but you live in Dallas and you would play mm -hmm. places like Trinity Forest with a lot of younger guys as they're coming up, guys on tour, before tour. How much have you played with the Cootie brothers over the years, Parker Pearson? Yeah, I've played with them a few times. Um, of course, I knew I, I, and I still know their, their father. He was a UT guy. Um, and I've met Kyle, their mother yeah. a few times. Yeah, they're sweet people. But their grandfather, Charles, 
uh, was the director of golf at the golf course that I grew up in in Abilene before we moved back to Dallas. So I knew him in Abilene as well, and I knew their great grandfather who was there as well. So I know however many that is one, two, three, four, four generations of cooties, and uh, and they're 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 great kids, and they're uh, very very good players. They're powerful players. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have wonderful success. They hit, they hit the ball really hard and they flight it really well. So, uh, they, they just have to learn how to off speed a little bit at times and how to, you know, how to just kind of temper it down just a little bit. But I think they're, they're going to be wonderful players. Yeah. Any particular uh, memory that sticks to mind playing, playing with them over the years, anything come to mind or, (laughs) Oh, I don't know. We we did play together at Trinity Forest uh, one day. They were headed back to school um, together. I think they stopped on their way out of town. And they had, between the two of them, I bet they had eight putters in their bags. <laughs> they were uh, they were trying a bunch of different stuff, and they're on the putting green, and they're, they're messing around with long, with, you know, elbow anchored with oh you know counterbalance weights they had different they had all different kinds of, of things going on and uh and they talked about just how they kind of like to tinker a little bit but I think they ended up just settling on one to play but I, I kind of thought those are curious kids they're they're not just going to take something if it's not working they're always going to look for you know what, what's best for them which I think is admirable and and then it showed some discipline to be able to put back in what they had before, despite you know the fact they've got some shiny new toys. They still, they still stuck with what they knew, but they're still not afraid. They weren't afraid to look for something new. Yeah, well, hey, hey as as I think about like obviously you got that first one in 2011, and then you got your first one in the PGA Tour Champions. You've been there for a couple of years now uh, in yeah. Richmond. Like, what did that feel like to get that win? Um, you know, with your new peers, you know, there in Richmond yeah. on the playoffs. Yeah. So that was, that felt different than Memphis. Memphis, like I said, was just relief and, you know, kind of confusion. Um, when I quit playing in 2016, I was going to be done forever. My wife and I started maybe in 19, 18 and 19, thinking, well, you know, come 21, maybe we might want to do this. COVID came along. I'm, I'm boring you by going back. But I, that really kind of escalated the plan. And the plan was, uh, you know, to try to get away from it long enough. I knew there was going to be consequences to that. I knew that my golf game was not going to be really ready. I also knew I was going to drop down the money list career-wise enough to where I was going to lose my eligibility. I was going to lose my status. I was going to have to start at the bottom. So when I turned 50, I had almost zero status on that tour. And I had to beg, steal, and borrow for Monday qualifiers. I mean, for for sponsor picks, doing Monday qualifiers, Tuesday qualifiers, trying to top 10 in. I think I played four tournaments my first year. I couldn't get in anywhere. Um, Second tournament, second year, I think I played, I think I did successfully seven or eight Monday qualifiers. I think I got five picks and then I played my way into the playoffs and did a couple of top tens, got 15 or 16, but starting out that year, 
looking at the numbers, I would have gotten into two. So I, I really had to earn my way in. And then this year, getting in contention, trying to fight through it, everything going on at home, sticking strong. It was just a, a, a validation for me and, and for my, for my wife. And, you know, they, that we, we did the right things and, and it worked. And so that's something to be very, very proud in winning, winning a golf tournament is one thing, but, but knowing the troubles that you went through to get there and how you persevered, that's what really makes you feel good. Man. And what, what, what kind of really, I guess it's just fighting for those starts, right? Just, just that, adversity that you've that you've faced in those first couple of years right i mean that that's a hell of a lot of grinding you had to do to, with, yeah. with no chance you know no guarantee success right yeah um being told no a lot uh being ignored a lot you know these tournament directors probably get 50 or 60 letters and and i get it in their mind i'm here's just this guy that used to play a long time ago here's a has-been who, who walked away, uh, we're not going to give him a spot. We've got guys that have been committed that need some help. Um, so I get that, but it hurt a little bit. And then on top of that, you know, I, I did not do a good job of staying on top of my game. You know, I just kind of expected my talent to come through. Look at what Stephen Auker did. Stephen Auker and I turned 50 about the same time. He played all the way through. He played everywhere around the world, wherever he could play. So I like to say he kept his pencil sharp, right? He was ready for the exam. I wasn't. I walked, I got out there once I finally did get into a tournament or two. I mean, my, my pencil wasn't even sharpened at all. I, I, in fact, I, at times I felt like I didn't even have a pencil. So uh, I, looking back now, I, I wish that I would have spent more time on my golf game. I feel like that learning curve, it wouldn't have taken two and a half or three years, but it did. And, and that's what the, the positive is, is that I was mentally fresh and rested and ready for the challenge and ready to ready to face the adversity that was coming my way. So it's yeah. give and take, give and take both ways. Yeah. Were there a particular, um, I don't know if it's a low point or if it's a point of, of just like, man, I can't believe I, I got, you know, a no into a certain tournament or, you know, were there any like specific moments for you that really kind of just spurred you on or, or just maybe, um, you know what I mean? Like, or were there any kind of driving force moments for you that kind of, you know, turn the tide a little bit or, or change yeah, I mean, your attitude? Yeah, there were several. Um, you know, I would tell you a low point was, oh, two years ago, it was, it was May already. And I had felt like I'd, I'd only played in four tournaments the year before, yet I still only missed making the playoffs by a few players, right? So, I mean, I felt like if I had any, any starts, right? I mean, if I, if I could just get two or three more you know, I felt like I could get my foot in the door, but yet here it was second year and it was May and we were having, you know, the, the senior PGA was coming up and I'm not going to put names, names sure. to the guys that got it, but I got told no by the PGA of America for a, for a, for an exemption. And 
And I think it was because they were questioning whether or not I was serious about it. But if I went back and looked at the names of the guys that they got it, I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, what? how far have I fallen? Like, what is like, what is going on here? How, how, did, how did this happen? And it's no slight towards them in any way. It was sure. it was all self kind of, you know, beating myself up. But I went to that tournament and it was going to be my third tournament of the year. And it was May, almost June, actually. And I thought, I, I can't, I can't do this. I mean, if I'm getting this much resistance and this much friction, you know, to get into these things, to, to get these starts, and, uh, and I've got this much downtime, that's the big killer is that when I was in Dallas, at least I had something to do. I was working for Benchmark Bank and Title in town here doing some business development stuff. So I had something, but still you got to have full time, you know, something that you're into. And I was like, this isn't going to work. But then a few months later, I made a call and Steve Stricker. So that was the low. Right. Uh, and I ended up getting in that tournament. I got in at 1030 or so in the morning on the day of the first round when Steen Tenning withdrew with a back injury. And I felt bad for Steve, but I, I made the cut. Got in my car, I drove to Iowa, did the did the Tuesday qualifier, won the Tuesday qualifier for the next tournament, and then called Stricker and for his event, and they gave me a sponsor pick. That was the first time, you know, I, I had gotten one yes before then, and that was at Jerry Kelly's event out in Tucson, and they were great, but. That was in the beginning. I didn't really know what to expect. I, I didn't maybe appreciate it as much as I should have. But when Stricker gave me that spot over a year later, I was like, okay, that, you know, that's, that's, that's meaningful. That's impactful. I'm, you know, let's, let's, let's go. Man. Yeah. That, that, that's got to stick with you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's a really good story. Um, you, you've got such a great underdog story from over the years. And I, I love the way you tell the story of your wife, Allison, with all the kids uh, at an airport at DFW, right? She wasn't at your win. Like she you didn't work out for her to be in Memphis at that first win in 2011. And, and just you know, tell us that story just for a minute, just how how it all worked out for her as, as she's listening and trying to get updates. You know, you go into a playoff with Carlson, is it going to happen? Is her guy going to win? Like, yeah. you know, what's that story there? Well, um, so backing up, I, I wasn't going to play. I, my, my career was coming to an end as, and I got into the U S open. I, I did the qualifier and kind of begrudgingly, I went to Memphis. You know, I, I had historically thought, it's too hot. Uh, I don't. I don't really want to be there. So, I'll, but I'll get my my caddy talked me into it. He was like, "You're playing so good. You ought to go." And so I went. Allison and the kids they couldn't get to Memphis uh, during the week, and they had just said, "We're going to wait. We'll fly to D.C. and we'll meet you there on Sunday night after you get done with with uh, with Memphis." And they actually made the flight for Sunday, thinking. Things hadn't been going very well. He's going to miss the cut in Memphis, so we'll just get there to you know soften the blow and make him feel better. So, <laughs> so as the tournament's going along, she had to pack all three kids up and get them to the airport. I think, like my oldest was twelve, the the middle one was nine or ten, the baby was 
gosh, I'm going to say he was five. Um, so she's got all of them in the in the airport, and they're trying to get ready to check in. The, and, and one of the kids is checking his phone or her phone or something and on the way to the airport, like, Dad just made another birdie and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, then they, they, they got to the airport and they checked in, got through security. And she's got three kids trying to trying to get them all situated. But she's also trying to walk into the Chili's, you know, to watch it on the TV and the bar and the, and the restaurant, but trying to keep the three kids. And she can't take them in there because, you know, it's a bar. But, you know, so she's running out to grab one and the baby's running in the bar and everything's going chaos and nuts. And, and uh, the plane, we, we go into the playoff and, and the airline was saying you had to get on the plane. So she was trying to watch it, couldn't watch it, but she didn't want to miss the plane. So she went and took all kids and got everybody on the plane. And she's watching it on her phone, getting texts and updates. And the the flight attendant comes by as we were on the, I was on the last hole with Robert on the, on number 12 and says, ma'am, you have to turn your phone off. You have to, you have to turn it off right now. We're taking off. So she turns everything off <laughs> and I can't remember who it was. It was a rep. There was, it might've been the tailor-made rep or the Titleist rep. I can't remember. Was sitting a couple of seats behind her and they took off and they're about a thousand feet in the air. And he reaches up and grabs her on the shoulder and said he won. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So she and all the kids started screaming on the plane. Uh, you know, people didn't know what was going on, but they, they did pretty soon. So, but she missed it. And, and I, and I wish to this day that they had been there, but uh, but things work out the way they're supposed to. I, I was unable to get to uh, Washington, D.C. that night because we had to stay and do all the stuff. So we spent the night and then got on a plane. And I got to see him the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Congressional that next week uh, for the U.S. Open. Um, you know, for you, yeah. when you look at uh, this is an amazing story there, uh, I, I'd imagine delayed gratification for, you know, for Alice and all the time she put into that. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, we've got like about three minutes left here, four minutes left. But I just want to say that, um, you know, the other people, you always talk about the other people that needed that win, right, in your life. Um, it was a special thing. And, and even this most recent win, you know, to be able to, to celebrate with these other people that are instrumental, you know, instructors, family, like that's got to be a special thing for you, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I've had so many special people put into my life over the years. You know, Randy Smith. Yeah, is, is absolutely one of them. Uh, I, I, I still see him quite a bit um, around Dallas. He's very influential in my life. Uh, um, you know, Coach Clayton at the University of Texas was very influential to me. Um, a, a guy named, he doesn't remember this, and I'm going to call his name now, <laughs> a guy named Randy Shannon. He was the head pro at Kapalua, but he started in Abilene at Charles Cootie's golf course. He gave me my first lesson. So I'll never forget it. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy and a good teacher and a good head bro. Um, but, you know, Bill Duval at Lincoln Property Company, and then 20 years later, Mike Barnett at, at Benchmark Title showing me, you know, uh, uh, showing belief in me and faith in me outside of golf uh, have been have been wonderful things. Uh, I, I've never wanted to be a full-time golfer. And have never understood or never had the ability to be selfish enough to just be a full-time golfer. I, I, I find that unfulfilling. Uh, I need more than that. And when golf becomes too much, you know, I, I tend to not do very well. 
And then you wonder, what else can I do? And, and having people that are there around you say, you know, I believe in you. You can do this and you could do this. You can. It's like it's like with yeah. your parents when you're a kid. You know, when they say you can be whatever you want to be, you want to believe that. So all of a sudden, if there's people around you saying you can do this, you can do it. Then it just makes you feel better. So it is without without these special people in my life. Who knows where I'd be? And I, I don't think I'd be here right now. Yeah. Well, in the next minute or so, like uh, goals for this next year, what are you looking forward to this next year? So, uh, you know, when I went and committed to the tournaments the other day, I thought, oh, I need to be smart, you know, and just choose the ones I want to play in. And I ended up hitting the select all button. Uh, wow. I, I'm going to play them all. Um, I, I took off six years and I, and I missed it. And I don't want to miss it now. Um, I've gotten full clearance by by the people at Benchmark to go play and be a, be a golfer as full time as I want it to be right now. And right now, I do want to play. So uh, I, I hope to win. I hope to uh, I hope to be in the Tour Championship again at the end of the year, and you know have similar similar results to this year. That's my goal. Yeah. Well, great stuff, Harrison. Uh, will be fun watching your uh, your career here. Um, come on, come out that win there in Richmond. All right, my thanks to Harrison Frazier for jumping on the pod. I, I love all those stories, especially that last one there about his wife's perspective. What was it like? You know, you know, your husband has wanted to win so so much over the years, and, and to be there. Well, to not be there in, in her case and, and just agonizing, okay, what's what's the update? Is he going to do it? And to finally hear on the plane that he won, what a story that was. So a lot of, as I said at the beginning of this, a delayed gratification and a lot of effort that Harrison, blood, sweat, and tears he's put into his career, definitely deserves all the success he's been getting here recently. A big win for him in Richmond in the fall on the PGA Tour Champions so anyway, hope you guys enjoyed the pod. Hope this one uh, resonated with you guys. I really appreciate the time. This was during the National Championship game, uh, early on in the game, that we took time out on the Monday a couple weeks back. 